just to be reminded that we have brothers and sisters um, all over the country, all over the world, who are gathering even in these hours and moments, um, opening up Scripture, um, and that the Spirit is speaking and working and ministering. Um, that, that we sometimes, I think, can have this, this small view of what God has done or is, is, is doing, and yet to be reminded that we have brothers and sisters around the world who the Lord is faithfully um, ministering to this morning, and that as we ask Him to do it, that He is not torn. He's not wondering if He can, um, if, if He can pour out this much here and that much there, but that He is faithful to meet with all of us. Um, so, typically what we're doing here at Redeemer is we're working through um, a book of Scripture, just kind of chapter by chapter um, throughout um, over several weeks or months, and we will pick that back up the first Sunday in January. We will start a brand new book and begin to work our way through it. Um, right now, through the month of December, what we've done is taken a little break, and we've been looking at some of our, our Redeemer core values, what makes us um, who we are, and some of the things that we want to be known for. Um, and so we've looked at being gospel-centered. We've looked at we want to be reflective of our community, that we want to be on mission, that we want to be simple. Um, last week, we looked specifically that we're going to be plural in leadership, that all of that weight and authority does not land just on one person, but that we have elders who lead the church and why we do that. And this week, we're going to look at our last one, our last core value. Um, it fits in well with the fact that Christmas is this week, um, and we are looking at the, the topic of we want to be generous, right? We want to be known for generosity. And I think that there's this idea whenever you step foot in a church and you understand that money is about to be talked about, that people get a little uneasy, right? They get a little um, unnerved or maybe it, it touches on just kind of a sensitive like place where we're just like, oh man, it's all churches do is talk about money, right? And, and if you've been around Redeemer very long, you'll understand that's not who we are. Um, if anything, we probably don't talk about it enough. We certainly don't talk about it um, a lot. And, and yet, it's one of those things in our culture that there are just some questions that we don't ask, right? We don't ask, how much do you weigh, right? Like, you don't ask that question, right? We don't ask, like, how much do you make, right? Like, we don't, we don't ask those kind of questions. And so, money, when we begin to talk about it in terms of the church, um, there's, there's guilt that gets involved, and we've just seen the church handle it really poorly. Um, that The church church in general tends to kind of be on one of two extremes, that they, they're a little bit like a, like a beggar, a pauper, with their hands out saying, please, sir, just a little more, right? Or there's this promise of if you give, the Lord will put favor upon you. And so then there's this call to prosperity. And these, these two extremes neither really reflect what God has called us to, that we do not give to receive favor, we give because we we've, we've have received favor, right? That we give to reflect the character of our good Father, our good God. And so our desire is to be known both as individual believers as well as a corporate body that is known just for generosity. But what I want us to see this morning is that generosity um, includes finances, but it is far larger than that that it is truly a heart issue and the overflow of the heart of what we want to be talking about this morning. That it's, that it's our time, that it's our energy, that it is our resources in possessions and in money. Um, it's also in our talents. 
our relationships, that we want to be known as the people who are generous kind of across the board. And so this will not be a money message. Instead, this will be a message on the heart of generosity. And where we need to start this morning is this, is that I want us to see and to celebrate and to worship a God who has been generous with us. Right? Like, it is, it, it's far too easy this time of year to just kind of nod our head in agreement at some things that get said of, like, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, or that He's come for us. Right? We say these things, and we just, we've heard them so often that we just kind of nod in agreement, and yet it doesn't really impact us. And so I just want us to be reminded and, and to, to take a moment to, re, to look at this morning that we worship a very generous King, a very good Father. And, and before we even get into Jesus, that God has been generous to us in creation, right? Think about creation, that, that the, the diversity, the creativity that we have in, like, just places, right? Like, if, if you enjoy the National Geographic shows, right, you watch these shows, and, and you see just the diversity in animals, you see the diversity in climates, you see the diversity in landscape, Right? That God is not boring, that He was generous in pouring out creativity for us. That He was generous in pouring out creativity when it comes to food. Right? That it's not just this thing that sustains us, which it does, but that it's something that we, we can long for and that, we can, that tastes good and that we get to show creativity in because God is creative. Because God was generous in giving good gifts to us in family and in relationships with things like travel and experiences. It's, it's the reason that we can look at a full moon or a sunset, right? That we can be on the ocean or we can look at the, the, like the West Texas Plains and you can see beauty because God has been creative and generous in pouring out diversity. But really, when we think of generosity in, in, in God, it's in Christ, Right, that as we think about the fact that he has created everything and that scene is set, that we also know that the world is broken. And so sometimes nature strikes back. Um, tsunami yesterday, right? That we see these, these tremendous and horrible things taking place and we are reminded that we live in a broken world. And that broken world is because of sin and it's because of rebellion, because a good God who placed Adam and Eve in the garden and said, I want to know you and I'm gonna, you're going to live with me forever and we're going to be in harmony and everything was right and perfect was then shattered and broken by rebellion where they said, God, we think there's something we can obtain outside of you. And ultimately, we need to be reminded that that's what sin is. It's saying, God, there's some sensation, some feeling, some emotion, some tangible thing that if I go outside of your will, that I will get it, and it's worth more than you. It's better than what you have to offer and to give. And so that the world is broken, relationships are broken, and even this morning that there can be confusion in how we view God. As to whether we see him as generous, or do we see him as, as hard and stingy and just a lawgiver? And yet, probably the most famous verse in Scripture, right, reminds us that God gives. Listen to John 3.16 again with fresh ears for just a moment. For God so loved the world that he gave, right, like he was generous. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Like, would we be reminded this morning that God was so generous to send his Son? Right? And these are phrases that we have said, that we have read, that we have written, that we've heard. And this morning, the question is this, is do we see this as generous this morning? Right? Like, do we simply nod our head and our hearts in agreement saying, yeah, yeah, God did that? Or do we see the significance that God gave his Son? Like, that he sent his Son the reason that Jesus was weeping, right, in the garden, that he was bleeding blood, that he was asking if there was another way, was because separation was coming, right? Pain was coming. Humiliation was coming that Jesus did not deserve, that we deserve. And yet God was generous to send his son. Like, I think we have to hear it in, in those, that language, right, that he sent his son in our place. And we think about what we're willing to send or not send our children into. Like, how generous God was to do this when he did not deserve it. He did not deserve the pain and the wrath and the death. And that in that, then, Jesus secures for us rescue, hope, peace, Salvation that he satisfies the very wrath of God that was not going to be poured out on us any longer, but it's going to be poured out, right, instead on Jesus, who did not deserve it, that Jesus made a way. And so this morning, right, we want to celebrate and remember and look once again that God is a generous God, that he has given everything to rescue us to make us right and whole with him. Again, that Jesus has sacrificed in our place on our behalf. Right? And it could even stop there and it would be enough. Right? That you, you kind of are like, man, I don't know how I got in, but I'm, I'm going to hang out over here in the corner. And even if the Lord did it a little bit begrudgingly, at least I'm on the lifeboat. And yet that's not where we stand before the Lord this morning. That God is generous not only in our salvation, but he is generous in our restoration. That he makes us family. Romans 8 says this. Chapter, chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Right? That God doesn't just say, okay, fine, because Jesus did this, whatever, come on. You're technically not guilty anymore. But then he calls us in and says, calls us son. He calls us daughter, and he brings us into the family, right? He brings us in and says, you're mine. What you were created for, what you were meant for, you're going to get it forever because you're going to get to call me father, that we get to know him and love him because he has drawn us in. He continues in verse 17 of chapter 8, and if children then were heirs, Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. So we're not just brought into the family, 
right? And then we're like, right? There, there's the redheaded stepchild over here. That we're brought in as sons and daughters. And we're made co-heirs. Like, do, do, do you hear that? Like co-heirs with Jesus. That everything that Jesus has becomes ours. That we're brought in and made family and given access to everything because God is generous. And so we get relationship with the Father, right? And because we have relationship with the Father, we get the benefits of that. That means we have hope. We have peace. That means he's making us to look more like himself in his image. It means we get joy. We get love. It means we get security. It means we get protection. It means we have the hope of eternity, that we're going to be with him forever, and that nothing can remove us from his hand. We think about these things that we long for as kids, or that we long to give kids, or that people need. They want hope, and they want peace, and they want security, and they want protection. And God is saying, I'm giving it to you on an everlasting, eternal, all-powerful way, that nothing can touch you. Nothing can separate you from me. You ask kids, what do they fear? And often it's going to be sickness, it's going to be death, it's, it's some sort of separation. And God simply says, yeah, nothing's going to separate us. That if we're his, nothing, including us, can separate us from him. We get the benefits of it. So that, look at verse 32 of chapter 8. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with, with him graciously give us all things? Church, this morning, would we simply stop for a moment and be reminded that this is who we celebrate, that this is who we worship, this is who we respond to, is a God who has generously given us everything. And he says, call me dad. Like, know me, love me, Trust me. Follow me. You are secure with me. That we have a generous king who is also father. And so, we want to be generous. Right? Like, we want to be generous because this is who he is. And we want to be generous with our time and with our resources, with our our possessions, with our energy, with our talents, with our relationships. We want to be generous because God has been generous with us. The first reason that I want us just to think through what it looks like to be generous is that when we are generous with any aspect of our life, it's showing where, what we treasure, right? It's revealing this. So if we look at Luke, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be jumping around a lot this morning, which is, y'all are not, um, your fingers are not in shape for that because we don't do that very much. So, but we're going to be in Luke 12, and maybe Megan can keep up for your sake. Um, Verses 33 and 34. Luke 12, 33 and 34. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And listen to what Jesus says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And look, generosity reveals where our treasure is. It shows what it is that we consider most significant and most important. And so quite literally and practically, how we spend our money and how we use our stuff, whether it's generous or stingy, right, shows what's important to us. It shows what is king and what is God in our life. 
Now look, just because it's simple doesn't make it easy, right? Because the fact is, is this is not complicated. We're not going, okay, what is he trying to say here? It's simple. It's just not easy. And so the way this plays out every Sunday night in our gospel community um, that meets in our home is, right, we've, we've got to walk our kids over the last several years through how they view their stuff and their bedroom and their backyard because people come and they use them. And, and people don't come to break things. People, that's not the intent, but sometimes things get broken. And so the constant refrain in our home is people are more important than things. And no one would not agree with that until it's your stuff that gets broken, right? And then you're like, yeah, I don't know that you're more important than this, right? Like that we, we, we understand like the cry of our children in that because we're going, there are some things I have that if you broke them, it would probably break relationship. And yet that we, we understand like, ah, I shouldn't think like that. I shouldn't feel like that. That this reveals a little bit of where our heart is. But if we can understand that the things that we have been given are to be used to serve and to bless others, right, like that they're not ours. And look, as Americans, we're really not good at this idea. That stuff, we're like, yeah, it is mine. It is mine because I worked for it and I paid for it and I have it and it's mine and I will defend it. Right? Like that's, that's kind of just like hardwired into us. And yet Psalm 24.1 reminds us, right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Like we have to sometimes be reminded, like we remind our kids this, but as adults we, gotta, we have to be reminded of this as well. It's not ours, it actually isn't ours, that everything belongs to the Creator. And so anything we have has been given. And if it's been given, then it's been meant to be used. It's a tool to be used for His glory. And so when we find ourselves stingy or hoarding or kind of like stiff-arming, right, like that's revealing something in our heart that's saying, no, 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 this is mine. Right? And, and just like we hate the ugliness of a, of a toddler, right? Like screaming, mine! Like we're going to experience that this week, right? This is like not, like we're going to have fresh fodder and fresh stories, many of us this week, as we see, you know, people getting whacked and toys being taken because it's like, it's mine and I'll kill you, right? <laughs> like like that, that, that cry of a three-year-old's heart is not that far from our own, right? We, it, maybe it's not over a fire truck anymore, right? But it's over bigger things, things that we feel like are, are, are segregated out and separated out for us. And yet it's revealing something in our hearts. We lose sight of the fact that it's been given and it's ours to use for the glory of God and for the good of others. That if we can take the, the, the possessions and the time and the energy and the talents and the things that we have and use them for the good of others. Matthew five sixteen says that we're, we're letting our light shine, right? This is what it says. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your, to your Father who is in heaven. 
right? That when we open up our homes, when we pour out food, when we invite people to partake of what we have, we're saying this is just a glimpse, just a foretaste of what the Father has for us. That he brings us into his kingdom, into his family, and he makes us co-heirs and says it's all ours. That there will be a day where we will have the banquet feast with the Lamb. We will stand before him and we'll have it all because God was generous enough to allow us in. So when we begin to show generosity with the things that we have, that the world says we don't actually have to show generosity, when we do that, we are reflecting the, the character the actions of our good Father who is generous with us, and we're saying, oh, there's so much more. You think this is good? There's so much more. Because the world is used to walls and stinginess, people hoarding and holding on out of fear. They're not used to people freely giving, right? You're showing the character of our God. Not only does it reveal where our treasure is, what we actually hold on to and what we long for, But it either reveals in a positive way or it exposes our hearts, right? It's like the the ownership thing. So, because it it, it shows how we really view things. And so, here's what's going to happen this week for a lot of us. You're going to give your child a gift that you worked for, that you paid for, that you knew them and you knew their, their, like what they longed for and you like bought the perfect thing for them and you're going to give it to them and they're going to be excited about it and they're going to say, thanks mom, thanks dad, thanks grandma, thanks grandpa, whatever. And about 20 minutes later, you're going to come in and you're going to sit down with them and say, hey, can I play with this with you? And they're going to go, no, it's mine. And your heart's going to say, I gave that to you. Because I love you. And I enjoy you. And I want you to enjoy this. And you screaming mine really makes me want it to make it broken. Right? <laughs> but your screaming of mine is forgetting what this relationship looks like. That the giver of the gift is better than the gift. Because the giver of the gift knew you well enough to, knew, to know what you would like and now wants to enjoy it with you, right? And so it reveals and it exposes our heart. It's like the Lord has given so many of us so much. And when he says, hey, I want you, here's how I want you to use this thing I've given you. And we're like, mine. I've worked for that. I've done that. It's mine. He's like, hey, bring them into your home. Hey, hey give this. Hey, spend some time here. I'm too busy. It's mine. Right, that we're showing this same heart and this same attitude. That it's, it's revealing this. Are we satisfied? Like, are we a satisfied people? Are we a content people? In Ecclesiastes, some of you are trying to keep up with that, and I'm like, why are you trying? Right, Ecclesiastes um, 5, verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is vanity. Right? Like that we're in the season where we are all about giving and having and doing, and yet we know, right, like the, the, the hard truth of this is, no matter how much you do tomorrow for someone, satisfaction does not come. Right? Contentment does not come. I, I can remember 
um, being probably about Carson's age, maybe, you know, seven, eight, nine, and one, I think it was actually a birthday, not Christmas, opening all this stuff, had all this family, all these friends here, and going, is that all? And the reason I remember that was because I remember the look on my parents' face, right? The horror as I had just expressed this, and I'm thinking, oh, I think I just crossed a line, right? That was not the appropriate thing to say in this moment. Like, instead of thank you, it was, I want to open more, right? That we know that we're not a contented people. We're not a satisfied people when it comes to things. And and the reason Solomon wrote that in Ecclesiastes 5 is because the heart, the soul, the mind is an insatiable pit of desire. It wants more always. We cannot satisfy it with stuff, with relationships, with things, with experiences, that if those are seen in the proper light as gifts from a good father, then they can be enjoyed and celebrated. And when they are seen as king, we're always left wanting more, not having enough, never satisfied. Just a little more house. I just need a little bit bigger house. I just need a little more money. If I could just get a raise, then we would be good. If I could just lose just a little more weight, if I could just have the relationship that I'm really longing for this year with my child or with my parent or with a loved one or with a new romantic relationship, if I could just have a little more, aware, a little more power, a little more fame, a little more respect, right? Like we always need just a little more, just a little more. God, if you'll just give me a little more, then I'll be satisfied. And what he's telling us is this, is you won't be satisfied by those things. We are meant to be satisfied by him and him alone. And if we are satisfied in him, then everything else gets to be bonus. Right? It gets to be seen as what it is, as good gifts from a good father, not as something that is left wanting or lacking. And so I want to read just a handful of verses quickly here to remind us of this idea. The first is from Psalm 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. He does, not things. If there was something he could give us that would do that, then it would be God. But he is the one who satisfies because he is the ultimate source of all good things. He is. And so everything else is merely a gift from him. In Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2, we see Isaiah write this. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And a voice cries, prepare the way of the Lord. Right? Is, is there writing out like, hey, here's what we need. We want war to be ended. We want iniquity to be, to be punished. That what, what does God do? He says, then I'm giving you Jesus. What you need is Jesus. And we have this prophetic passage that follows. Then in Isaiah 55, 
a passage we read often here because of how beautiful it is. Verse 1, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. The one who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Listen, and why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Right? It says like we long and we work and we do and we buy and it does not satisfy. That is found in Christ, in Christ alone. And then Jesus in John 6 Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's saying, look, you will find the satisfaction your soul longs for in me and me alone. And if we see that and if we can get that, then we can be generous. And we can accept the gifts that he's given. That he is the, he is the better thing. He is the source that we're longing for. He is our satisfaction. And so we want to be generous because it reveals where our treasure is. We want to be generous because it reveals or it exposes that our hearts are satisfied or they aren't. And then lastly, we want to be generous because it reflects the character of our good God. Who He is. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 1, to be imitators of God. Like that's literally, like we're supposed to be imitators of Him. And then John writes in 1 John three seventeen. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The generosity is fruit. It is evidence of salvation. Because it reveals a heart that loves like God does. In stinginess, we don't see that in God. So when we find our hearts being stingy, not content, not satisfied, that we can understand there is room for, for health, for growth, for maturation, like that it's in Christ that we're going to find our satisfaction. And so we want to be generous with our time, right? Because God stepped into human history for 30 plus years to pursue us, put on flesh and walked with us. It's the season we're literally celebrating right now. And so we can be generous with our time. We can sit with people and not be worried about the watch. We can let them weep and cry in hard days. Right? We can, we can enjoy them on good days. We can be generous with our time. And I think about just some examples of this. Um, on a week-in and week-out basis, the band gathers multiple times to prepare for Sunday mornings to serve. So they're using time and talents, right, to bless and to serve. Right? We, we, we joke weekly about the nursery, right? But like the, that is time that is not being spent here, away from children, right? Like that people are saying, I'm, gonna, I will be, I'm willing to be generous with my time and with my energy and with my relationships, with my effort to serve other moms and dads and other grandparents, right? Every Sunday morning since Redeemer started, um, Carmen's pretty much on the stage every week in the bands. I'm, I'm preaching most weeks. 
and we have kids at home, <laughs> and Sunday morning needs to happen, right? And so some combination of my in-laws or my parents or my sister have just taken care of our kids on Sunday mornings for like year in and year out, week in and week out, right? Never being known, but just serving with time, right? In, in a way that doesn't get applause, but is honoring to the Lord because it's serving to the body. That we want to not just reflect God and his generosity with our time, but with sacrifice. Right? We think of the cross that, that for us to see the generosity of God, it cost Jesus something. And that it may cost us something. C.S. Lewis says the only rule there should be about giving is that it, we should probably give enough that it hurts, right? And so some of you go, look, in relationships, it's hurt a little bit. In, in possessions, it's hurt a little bit because stuff's got broken or, or used up. With money, sometimes I've given more than maybe I should have. Right, like that, that it should cost, it should feel something. It's the widow's might, right, that she gave out of all that she had rather than a portion, right? So Jesus says, look, what she gave, pleasing to the Lord, because she gave trusting him as the source of her protection, of her guidance. One of the ways that we can be sacrificial and generous here is with forgiveness, are we willing to forgive wrongs and hurts? It cost, like, it cost us something to do that. And yet, we understand that the Lord satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf when he did not deserve what was poured out on him. And so can we take some of that in order to offer forgiveness for lesser things that have been done to us? We want to reflect the character of God that we don't call it a rule or a percentage, that we don't give to gain favor, that we understand that this is a heart issue. That the Lord says in 2 Corinthians that he loves a cheerful giver, that it's not someone who's just doling it out, saying, okay, Lord, pay my taxes, pay my church, right? He's loved someone who's cheerful because they've understood how much they've received from him. And so they're able to gladly give time, energy, relationships, money, resources. Practically, we don't want to wait to be generous. I think sometimes an argument is when I make a little more money, then I can be generous. When I have a little more time, then I'll give some time. We start now, right? Like, we don't look at our children who maybe get a $5 allowance and say, once you make more money, then you need to be generous with it. We want to teach them now to be generous, right? To be thinking through how to care for others, even if it's a small amount of money or a small amount of time. That the Lord does not give us a scale. He doesn't say, until it's this much, you don't have to worry about it. He just says, it's our heart. Because if our heart wants to reflect our Father, then it's going to be generous, whether it's little or much, in time, in energy, in resources. So some of you are going, I don't have much to give. I got three kids, you know, under a year old. It's what it feels like sometimes, I think. Um, I don't think we actually have any triplets. But you're being generous with your children, right? You have less to give right now to others, but that you're giving of that. And when someone goes, I'm an empty nester, I got nobody at home, that's not when we start being generous, right? That we've fostered generosity in our time and our relationships throughout our life because it's not to scale. 
So here's where I want us to end this morning. As we enter just a week of making much of Jesus, of celebrating the fact that he has come, is let this question just kind of be bouncing in our hearts and minds this week. Do we see what he has done for us as generosity? And I think the quick answer is yes, but I think we have to stop and say, do we actually see it as generosity? Like, do we really see what it was as, like, significant? And second, am I content? Am I satisfied? Right, like, your heart's going to get a lot of testing in that over the next few days. To ask that question, to respond to it. That do I really believe that Jesus is sufficient, that he is enough? I promise you he is. That he will meet us where we're at. That he will satisfy holes and places that we can't even imagine being satisfied, that we've longed for for so long. That we can really not be hungry again. We can really not be thirsty again. We can really not long again. And that he invites those who have no money to just partake. Because he's done it all on our behalf. So this morning, as the band comes up, um, there'll be some folks in the back of the room. If you need to pray with someone or talk to someone, we're just going to take a couple moments, right, to, to just begin to ask these two questions. Do I see the Lord as generous, and am I content? And to let the Spirit begin to already minister to us in those. That this season, we would really not just say with a smile, yeah, the Lord's done a lot, that we would mean that, and we would sense that, and we would see that. So let me pray for us now.